Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Al Basti Ecruel, Dubai. listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly digest of the show that goes out every week at nine o'clock, live and free on Racing TV. Through the next hour, you will be hearing from Irish trainer and jockey, sometimes, Dennis Hogan, who ran Maker Challenge in the British Champion Sprint. You will be hearing from Rafe Beckett, the man who had a five-timer the previous Saturday, from regular Neil Channing, from Rod Street, the Chief Executive of British Champion Series and Great British Racing, reflecting on British Champions Day, and by the Chief Executive of the Tote, Alex Frost. I hope you enjoy the show. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel, Dubai. Luck on Sunday regular Neil Channing is back. Good morning, Neil Channing. Good morning. Presumably just taking a day off from Extinction Rebellion, which is great news. Great to see you here. And again, for the... Sorry, is it, are you getting a page? Oh, no, I just... I, actually, you mentioned that. I'm sorry, I remember. There we are. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. Anyone would think we'd sorted that out. Rafe Beckett is here, definitely not taking a break from Extinction Rebellion. Good to see you back, and in great form as well. So congratulations on all the success Rafe, the last couple of weeks. you can come out camping with the Crosties if you want. Yeah, yeah. Maybe another time. <laughs> I mean, you had dinner with the locals last week. Camping with the Crosties is a bit much. Uh, Dennis Hogan, welcome to Luck on Sunday for the first time. Thank you. Uh, a sensational year for you, jumping and on the flat, and very nearly yesterday at Ascot. A fairy tale result with Make a Challenge in the sprint. How are you feeling about half a furlong from home? Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say my heart never went as hard ever. Actually, I, I, I did, but I did put my hand to my head and think he can't, he, can't, he couldn't sustain to the line. But look, it was worth a shot. He done, he done his proud, and um, there's no regrets about bringing him, and we'll be back again. I spoke to one or two of your fellow owners in the horse as well. They were just so excited to be there, to be a part of it, to have been in a position to stump up the 40 grand to, to supplement. The whole experience, what sort of impact has it had on, on your whole team? I know it's come quickly. Yeah, it's been, it's been kind of all year. It's been stepping up from like low-grade handicap to Galway. It was brilliant. That was, that was my aim, kind of from everyone's get a win out of Galway. That was it. Everyone would be happy. Yeah. And then after Galway, it was Champions Weekend. But then we had to win again to qualify. Yeah. So we'd done that. And we qualified. We got beat Champions Weekend by Buffer Zone. Yeah. In a 6 furlong handicap at the Curra. And from there, I was thinking York for a 100 grand handicap over six, the one that Gulliver won. Yes. Ago. That was the plan. I thought that Joe McGrath came into the mix when... Um, Entries more, and I was like, "Well, put him in the John McGrath, and yes, I'm going to bring him to the car for a bit of work. So maybe we could go up and nick that, and then go to York." <laughs> but he didn't just nick it; he won in six lengths, and he ended up getting fifteen pounds. So he got pushed out of York, and then the next race to look for was the the listed event. There was talk, talks of um, supplementing him for Longchamp for the Prudelabe. Prudelabe, yeah. And I thought he better go to a listed level first and see if he can do the same. And he did, and he was he was explosive in that race. And 
said to the boys that there's a chance we could supplement them for Champions Day. What do you think? And to be fair, they all said, if it's OK in the morning and you want to do it, go ahead and do it. So um delighted we've done it and um, no regrets. Those are the sort of owners you want, aren't they? Yeah, uh, the lads are brilliant. Um, we have a family have a, have a leg in them and Barney Riley has a leg and Walter O'Connor owns half and they've been brilliant to do it all year. Just to leave it to me and if you say go, we'll go. And if, if you're not happy, leave them at home. You know, they've been joy to do it. We'll have a look at the race in a few moments' time. But, Rafe, if you've got a horse like that and he just keeps on surprising you and surprising you and surprising you, there's no knowing where the story's going to end. I think for us as viewers and, and punters, it makes the sport what it is because it shows us that even those closest to the horses sometimes don't know quite what they're capable of. I agree. It's all about when the ball's at your feet, keep kicking it, you know. <laughs> and well, Dennis has done that really well. So it's, uh, it's, and it's great fun when they're like that. You know, when you never know when it's going to stop, it's great fun for all concerned. Because I suppose it's the converse of having a weighted expectation and then most horses never live up to those expectations, so it's the complete opposite, isn't it, really? The ones that creep up on you, they're the best ones, aren't they? (laughs) And and for you now, how how full are you? Because I remember watching an interview with you in Ireland over Christmas and you were saying we're having a bunch more stables built and we want to fill and you were up to 70 or 80 at the time. Where are you Where are you at now? Uh, we're, actually, we're actually in a good place now. We've we've probably have a little bit less numbers wise. The time last winter we just ended up like with, with like we were over full. We, we, we had horses in a rented yard and um, it was crazy. It was hard. It was, you know how hard it is with staff and I just thought I said we need to kind of not turn away horses, but we need to we need to keep quality more than numbers just to fill the stables. So we have done that. In fairness, we're we're probably down about ten or fifteen or twenty on that. But we've a lot of horses selling this week at Doncaster and Goffs, and there's like probably ten or fifteen going to go on holidays. Um, so it just give us a chance just to to consolidate. Yeah, grab our bearings again and, and and regroup for probably January. But we still have a nice bunch of jumpers coming through, so it's, it never stops at our place. But um, the whole thing is just to try and get a better grade of horse all the time, you know. And was the was the idea always to go both codes and to try and do it that way, or are you trying to lean one way or, or the other? Uh, no, I it was probably jumping at start. It was probably always jumping, but um, I spent I spent a couple of years with Mick Halford on the Cora, mm-hmm. and he was kind of doing the same at the time. He had had plenty of jumpers. Like he had a jump jockey and an amateur, and he had. Board as well, and I thought he'd done it really well. And I learned a lot there about training flat horses and just keeping them fresh and healthy. And I thought, God, that looks a bit easier than what Charlie was doing when I went back to Swans. Yeah. I thought it's it's a, it's a bit easier to do the flat ones. So it, it did it did have me intrigued to to take on a few flat ones, and it's kind of spiraled from there. And now we're probably slightly more flat ones this 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 summer. We definitely did. Yeah. And I suspect the run of Make a Challenge yesterday, for all that he finished fifth and not closer, will have only enhanced your reputation to be able to get a horse there and do that. And we're going to have a little look at it now as we start our look back on Champions Day. It was a tremendous win for King Power Racing, Don Juan Triumphant at 33-1. to 1. But let's just pick out your horse, Dennis, the, the white and blue silks. He's just stuck in behind at the moment, but he, he, he locks on and travels amazingly well, the, the white and blue nearest to the camera. I suppose the danger is you're almost going too well with this test of stamina on this stiffer track. Yeah, I did. I, I did think that. Like, to be honest, when you're stepping into group one level, you actually still don't know how you're going to travel. Like, like we're going up two, we're going up two gears yesterday. So, it's like the Joe. I said, just jump and be wherever you're comfortable. I said, ideally behind the pace. Um, we were drawn with no cover, so hindsight. It's hard to know. Like the the ones. 
the finish in front of us all would have been the winner would have been a very hard look story he did get knocked down twice and one master had a rough enough passage as well and I think the grey even got squeezed as well but um, we had a clear passage we kind of had to go and we did um, hindsight maybe 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 if we if we had arrived slightly later if the ground had been drier would we have got the distance probably um, there's a lot of ifs but I have no regrets um, we were there to be shot at probably alright and, and we just got run down late but there's no, no complaints really the winner was Don Juan Triumph, 33 to 1, but a horse proven in soft conditions before. Same comments could apply to the mayor. One mastery ran a terrific race in second. And the third had been runner-up at Royal Ascot, so how she was 66 to 1, I don't know. But the winner was 33 to 1. Great result for Sylvester D'Souza, great result for Andrew Balding, and a great result for King Power. I think there's significance in all those three, Rafe, isn't there? Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the, the horse is he's a grand horse, isn't he? You know, he's mm. been knocking around for ages. Well bought in the first place, and uh, obviously uh, it's great, it's great for, for 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 top and everybody at King Power. So I, I thought it was I thought it was a fantastic result. Uh, I was delighted for the ball. And he goes to stud now as well. Yeah, I didn't realise they they'd got a stud career for him sorted. So to win his Group One before he goes to stud, pretty important. <laughs> Suddenly makes him significantly more valuable. Absolutely, he goes to France. I think does he? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Any reflections on that race, Neil, from a punting point of view? Were you successful, unsuccessful? Um, well, I actually, uh, yeah, I had about the, maybe the smallest bet I've had in the last two years on the winner. But, so just a grand uh, one. I, no, very tiny, but I did bet about six horses in the race. Um, I mean, I, I went into the day kind of, like I said to somebody a few weeks ago, this is the worst time of the season to be betting, you know, right at the end of the season, a dog end of the you know, long season for some of these horses and the ground changing and jumps I you know normally I kind of get going after Chepstow and I haven't really got into it as much as usual and uh, I said I really shouldn't actually I really enjoyed it yesterday I didn't think that the ground uh, detracted from the racing at all you know it was fantastic racing sometimes yeah maybe after that first race you think oh god it's going to be a day of like funny results mm. and you know it's it's going to be unsatisfactory the form's not going to work out but uh, later on, that wasn't the case. No, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I, in terms of King Power, is that, is that a year's anniversary from the tragic yeah, accident? And, year, um, yeah. uh, you know, obviously at that time, I remember, you know, we came in to do the show and yes. it was like, you know, do we talk about it? Is it, is it you know, how's, what's the, we can't really talk about the effect on the industry and, you know, the trainers involved and whatever because you know some people have just died and it's very sad um, but it seems like you know they're motoring on and no sign of it stopping so that's got to be a good thing hasn't it yeah certainly the investment still seems to be there and they've had a great season as well yeah really that's good fantastic. yeah I mean, if, if, I mean you can remember like Royal Ascot they were desperately unlucky in a, a half a dozen races really but uh, yeah no they've still had a great season I just wanted to pick up the Sylvester D'Souza point Rafe oh, yeah, sung his praises quite a few times on this, on this programme he had a nasty injury and he was out for quite mm. a long time he hasn't been garlanded quite as much this year because of what Asheen Murphy and Danny Tardope have been doing but he's come back and he's come back hard the last couple of weeks he's straight back into it you know the first day back he, he rode a winner and he, um, he rode a listed winner the, mm. the, the, the second day back um, for us, I was slightly concerned, you know, putting him straight back on it. You would be concerned almost anybody else but Sylvester because he's so single-minded, you know, that three months off, 
it wouldn't bother him. And he's he's a great temperament, Sylvester, as well. So uh, no, I was de delighted for him. You know, he's he's such a good fella. You know, really is in every sense. I thought that was quite interesting. Is you, you know, it's only it's only human nature, isn't it, to think well they've been off for a while. Yeah. I've, got, I've got a big one tomorrow. Big owner, big pressure. Do I dare put them on? They've been off for a while. But of course you should, because it's still Sylvester de Souza. Absolutely. And the reason he rode the Philly he rode for us was because he'd gone on well with her before, and it doesn't matter how long he's been off. You know, he's just a very, he's just an excellent rider. You know. The bustle memories there, as this man to my left knows only too well as a jockey and a trainer. Right, let's have a look at what I thought was the race of the day, and I think probably most of you did as well. Even though Stradivarius's amazing winning streak came to an end, this was an absolute epic between him and Kew Gardens, and you thought when Frankie de Tori came there to claim, um, to claim Kew Gardens that he was going to win on Stradivarius, but it wasn't to be, because Kew Gardens battled back under Donnacher O'Brien on the inside. I, I thought this was just a, a wonderful, wonderful race to watch, Dennis. Yeah, it was, it was like probably obviously the rest of the day to watch, but uh, I, did think, I did think Kew Gardens was beat, actually. Um, I thought I didn't think I had got there but um, to be fair it was a wonderful ride by Donica. Um, I think he deserves great credit for all his rides yesterday, he was very good on them all um, and obviously obviously, it's not easy to get past Frankie and he did so. we're, we're a bit in the same situation Rafe, it struck me as we were with, with Joseph uh, a few years ago where we were in danger of just sort of overlooking his impact in the saddle just because oh yeah he's Aidan O'Brien's son and he just gets on these horses and they win group once and of course, if it was anyone else, they'd be scrutinised or praised or criticised or whatever. But we sort of, that's rather taken for granted. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's, he's I mean, the last two years, the improvement as a rider, well, I obviously don't see him as much as Dennis does, but he's, he's, he's a different, different, different gear now, isn't he? He really is um, come of age in the last year or so. I, I don't know whether, that's my perception yeah. anyway, but... Uh, he was excellent yesterday, and to get back in front, you know, I mean, it was a it was a terrific effort um, by both horses. I thought. Yeah, I agree. With, like even put him on a low grade horse um, tactically, he's he's very aware, and he's like it's not just riding good horses for his dad. It's like put him on any any horse. He he really he really has a, a brain and, and uses his head. You know. Oh, we take it down the side here. I, I wasn't sort of sure at this point how, how quick they were going, but the sectional times told you they were, they were, they were motoring on OK. And uh, Kew Gardens has a lovely position on the inside. It just struck me, Neil, from a fairly early stage that he was moving incredibly well, moving possibly yeah. better than he had yeah. done all season, yeah, just I, very I, rhythmic. I, the the uh, Betford was like not really working very well yesterday for some reason, <laughs> but uh, <coughs> in running, uh, he went favourite. Uh, you know, halfway, like quite early on, and he went quite short. Like he was backed, I think it was nine to two the day before, and he was backed into three to one. Obviously, uh, you know, one of the great each way burgle bits of the season. But uh, um, he, um, yeah, he he hit six to four quite early on, and Stradivarius, you know, went to odds against. I mean, it kind of looked like Frankie was. Not, I wouldn't say he was out of his ground, but he's possibly just struggling to um, just go the pace. And you know, his his stamina is obviously going to kick in, and uh, you know he's perfectly capable of picking them up from behind this horse. But uh, I, I, I think it's only one one race on soft, doesn't it, Stradivarius? I, I sort of thought 
at this stage I was kind of starting to think I don't know is he, it's, it's still hard to come from behind in the short straight at Ascot even shorter straight yesterday yeah absolutely and uh, I, you know so you can't criticise Frankie he's only got beat the width of a fag paper but um, and he's you know he's obviously a great jockey at Ascot and he looked like he was going to win and I, I, I think the machine was completely um, up the spout because I, I'm not sure what price he traded him running but I think it, it would have been in the sort of 106 region and uh, he definitely looked like he'd won didn't he and then um, you know the winners really just pulled it out Ruby Walsh was, was at a an analyst on, on Racing TV yesterday and Racing TV Extra and I'd imagine that there's quite a few watching elsewhere because they were you were so spoiled for choice in terms of TV viewing yesterday but Ruby made the point I thought this was interesting Rafe that Frankie had to work quite hard to get to Donica mm. and in so doing had used up virtually his entire allocation of whip strokes and by the time by the time Donica came back to him he had nothing left so he couldn't he couldn't really give him one or two more which was an interesting read of it from from a jockey's point of view I thought yeah I mean, they they pulled five clear of the yeah. third though, yeah, you know, they did and I think that's as relevant as an, as any other point I'm going to get Ruby's point as well but you know he, he, you could could you say that Stradivarius has run below par I'm not sure well, about that Bjorn Nielsen who I've got masses of time for the way he's campaigned this horse and the way he yeah, talks about it uh, he he said after the race, he said, look, at the beginning of the year, I had DXP to worry about, cross mm. counts to worry about, and Q Gardens to worry about. The first two, we've dealt with them. Here was a fresh, it was another new kid on the block, and, and it, it sets up a terrific uh, yeah, great, rivalry. Uh, great Gold Cup next year. Yeah. Well. Two. I mean, that could be amazing, couldn't it? Bring yeah. it on. It, yeah, two, yeah. two good ones make yeah, it so yeah, much yeah, better, yeah, make yeah, the sport yeah. so much more exciting. The man who rode Q Gardens, the man who rode Magical, he's on the line now, one of the heroes of Champions Day, Donna O'Brien. Good morning. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm extremely well. I know Magical was the high-profile uh, ride yesterday, but that win on Kew Gardens must have given you so much pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was um, very nice to take a slap like Stradivarius and um, you know prove to everyone how good a horse Kew Gardens is. Uh, you obviously know the horse really well. You, you know him from home. You knew how he'd been working. Just to the eye, it looked as though he was moving so fluently through the race. What, at what point did you think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, with, with life today? Um, I was always very happy throughout the race. Um, it went forward for me. I got a nice position and um, everything went nice and smooth. I thought. Um, coming down to the furlong, we were going to get fed, but um, he, when I got stuck into him, he found a lot for me. So did you actually think you were done? When Frankie came to you, did you think, right, well, I've run well, but... There we go. That's it. Um, I kind of did, but I think my horse, once he came to me and I got a few belts into my lad, he found another gear rather than Frankie weakening, if that makes sense. So, um, no, I, I think he's a very tough horse and uh, he's very good as well. How, how soft was that ground on the inner track? Um, I just call it soft ground. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrendous. It definitely wasn't as bad as the straight track, but um, yeah, I, I just call it soft. The interesting thing was I read a, a quote from, from your father, Aidan, earlier in the year, and he said he didn't think that soft ground was necessarily up his street. Has that made you have a rethink at all? Um, I, think, I think that was kind of in relation to Chester, I suppose. Yeah. You know, it was early in the season, and uh, it probably wasn't as fit as he is now. Um, I, think, I think he'd be better on good ground, but um, he does bend his knee a bit, and he's a big, powerful horse, so maybe he gets through it better than some. He is, he's a fine-looking horse. I'm really imposing. What chance do you think he'll be a better horse still next year? Yeah, look, he's a big, big, rangy horse. Um, you know, he might still be strengthening into himself. 
Um, so you could certainly see improvement next year. Um, you know, so he's one to look forward to. He certainly is. It was a terrific race and, and, and great to see. Did you, did you and Frankie chat after the race at all? Yeah, no, um, obviously we got on very well. So Frankie, Frankie, we had a good laugh and went inside. Obviously, he was disappointed to get bet, but um, no, we're just like me. So just a bit of friendly banter. Yeah, exactly. A magical yesterday. She she did what she had to do, I guess. I, I guess anything other than a win would have been a bit of a disappointment. But I watched it again when I got home last night, and and it struck me that you always had matters in 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 hand. You were always in sort of control of the situation. Is that how it felt to you? Yeah, she, you know, she's. I think I think she's always, a silly that always kind of keeps a bit for herself. Um, I think that's probably why she's um, she's lasted so long and um, she's been able to run so frequently and at such a um, high class so um, I think if anyone had come to me again I'd have found more and the interesting thing after the Irish Champion Stakes and I think maybe we didn't make enough of this yesterday that Irish Champion Stakes British Champion Stakes double is hard to do especially with an arc in between but after the uh, Irish race at Leopardstown Ryan Moore was unequivocal and he said this filly will improve into the autumn because Aidan's just given her enough of a, a of a break whilst she's still been running if that makes any sense i.e. he hasn't been pushing all the buttons in the middle of the summer is that something you all felt at Valley Doyle that you were really trying to save a bit for the autumn um, look, I, I don't believe uh, getting these, um, especially I suppose, soccer fillies to keep improving. Um, you know, late into the year when they've had um, tough seasons, um, I know she she's supposed to have a lot of growth, but still she's she's been busy the whole year, and I think um, it's a testament to Valley's ability to get them to keep improving. Yeah, we were we were marvelling over that exact same thing yesterday because the the orthodoxy is that with fillies and mares you have to be a little bit more careful with them and not ask them perhaps as much as you would with a, a colt or a or, or particularly a gelding. But you know, as you were saying, she's having a ninth run of the year, so you're close to it. How does he do it? Um, I don't know. Um, I knew that. I think everyone would be doing it, but um, yeah. <laughs> you know, he keeps training them quite similar and especially I think some of the Galileos are so tough that it's time on the work and um, they continue to improve and perhaps some of the other other horses um, would and, uh, After the race Aidan was saying that uh, it's entirely feasible that she, she goes to the to the Breeders' Cup and if she does it might be the Philly and Mayors race rather than the rather than the turf do you think she'd cope with the with the conditions out there okay it was soft when she was second to enable last year yeah, look, I think I don't see the silly that needs soft ground. You know, she doesn't actually bend her knee a whole lot. So if you no. saw her, if you saw her doing a canter on the other way, I don't think she wants good ground. And um, she's plenty tactical. She's got got good gait speed. So I think I think she's very versatile. I think she would cope quite well no matter where she went. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Two men who were very happy, yes, they were Richard Hannon and Sean Levy because they won the QE2 with King of Change. Well worth looking at this again. This is an exciting cult. Make no mistake, because he hasn't had a busy season. He was second of Agna Grisha in the Guineas. He had a break. He came back. He won a little race at Sandown, did it well, and he absolutely bolted up yesterday, Dennis. And I wish I'd heard from Sean Levy before the race what he said after the race which was that he'd been giving him a better feeling on the gallops at home than Sky Lantern or Toronado I haven't heard that but uh, uh, yeah he was very impressive and uh, it's great for Sean uh, um, he's, he's a top class rider I actually remember I remember in the early days of pony racing against him in Ireland and he was in Ballydyla just after that and he'd done quite well out there and then he moved over to Richard Hannon and 
he's, he hasn't looked back really he's, he's done some strength to strength so it was, very, it was a very good day from yesterday and this horse Rafe is, a, is an exciting prospect for next year if they can keep him in one piece and keep him away from really fast ground he's going to be he's going to be a machine absolutely I thought it was, I agree with Dennis I thought it was absolutely fantastic I was delighted for Richard um, you know he's uh, he's handled this horse uh, particularly well because obviously there was uh, you know uh, to come back off a long break um, off, off a terrific run in the Guineas and uh, Sean is a you know is a grafter and a lovely fella so I th- you know he's a really t- terrific fella and I'll rise the old one for us and um, I, I enjoy I enjoy using him you know he's a, he's a, an engaging character so it uh, no, I was delighted to see the horse win I thought it was fantastic there's something really nice when when a guest heaps praise on somebody <laughs> that you're about to ring. And that somebody <coughs> happens to be listening on the line. Sean Levy, good morning. Morning, morning, Nick. How are you? I'm, 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 I, Rafe Beckett, not sparing your blushes there at all, but I think you deserve it today. Um, and uh, and that, was a, that was great to see yesterday. Uh, what you said after the race was interesting about, about what he'd been doing. I kind of wish I'd known that beforehand, I, but... Uh, but uh, he, he'd obviously been exciting you massively. Yeah, no, he was. He was. He was doing. He was ticking all the right boxes. Um, not to rest, not to rest. A lot of people would have liked to would have, would have liked to have known that before the race. I would have thought. <laughs> uh, but he, he he got the job done nicely. He was he he was moved up from a, a small race at Sandown to this. Uh, was there anything that concerned you going into the race at all? To be honest, I think um, the only thing that really concerns me is like you wouldn't have ever run on that ground before, and look, it's, it's heavy ground. You never know how they're gonna cope with it really until until you you're running up the track with them. But um, but he, he, look, he's, he's, his half brother had handled it, and his father had handled it. And, you know, what I mean, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of things to suggest that he would. And this seems a pretty carefully executed plan. He missed a whole bunch of time in the in the middle of the season, and I don't think there was anything particularly seriously uh, amiss with him. Were you always just inclined to mind him because you knew you had something decent on your hands? Yeah, look, leading up to the leading up to the guineas, like he was always a big frame of a horse, and obviously when he when he when he, when he won up in Nottingham and then went straight into the guineas and after that he was always just still frame and he, he always looked as he was going to need a time in fact when you were looking at him back then you would have thought you're never going to see the best of him until he fall um, obviously then we had he had that long long time that long time off through the summer and that and it, it he it seemed as though he needed it because when we've seen him come back now he's a totally different horse you know he had he'd grown into himself he was he was a, definitely a bigger stronger horse and it's been a fantastic awesome for you as well with, with Bills and Brook coming back to victory in the Sun Chariot Stakes and then now following up with another Group 1 here. Uh, again, these, these wins are coming at, in a timely fashion for you, aren't they? Yeah, they're coming um, late on in the year. Um, mind you, look, I've, I've been having a good year regardless. Mm. And it's just coming as icing on the cake, really, at the, at the back, of, back, of, back of a good season. And in terms of yesterday, I asked Donegro O'Brien where, where his two victories ranked. Obviously, you, you tasted success in a classic early last year and you came on the show and spoke fantastically about it and she came back and won, won the other day. But where, where does this rank and, and the prospect of, of, of getting on him again in Group 1s next year? Um, do you know what? I'd, I'd hate to say it, but I put him ahead of, ahead of Business of Brook at the moment for me, anyway, personally, because... It, 
well, like I know Bristol Book was the one that she was next to one shot and you know, so be it everyone kinda of thought of the flu. She turned around and proved that proved that it wasn't. Um, the other day in Newmarket, but him, I always look forward to riding him. You know, like always thought he was going to be a good horse from when he ran, from when he ran first time out as a you know. And yet, I guess what you're saying is, is you, you, you're wanting impact horses, aren't you? Horses who are going to continue to make an impact at the top level for you. No, exactly. And um, like the, the, now, we're just looking forward to whether whether or not we see him again this year, or we see him early in the spring next year. It's it's. Um, but you 100% now looking forward to him because he he has the capabilities of of now of performing on in the, on those massive platforms, you know, on those big races. Like you'd be, you'd be liking to see him in the likes of Ascot and things like that. And he, he looks he looks a very good horse, you know. You you say that there's a there's a possibility that we'd see him again in 2019. Well, obviously, <laughs> uh, no, you definitely will be seeing him again. What this year or or next year? Um, no, I say I don't. I'm not sure about this year, to be honest. Um, obviously, everyone's going to sit down and have a have a chat about it. But I would have liked to think he has a couple of options. Um, let's see what they say. But look, at the the the, the, the biggest plan was obviously to hold on to him and look after look after his his, his four year old career. And those, I mean, presumably those options are abroad. If he if he has another spin in, yeah, in nineteen, they'd have to be either I guess Breeders' Cup or Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Breeders' Cup, um, Dubai even. Because I'm sure that they always, at some stage, either this year or next year, would like to see him. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Well, it, w it wasn't without uh, incident in the lead-up, but in the end, British Champions Day worked out really nicely with some fantastic performances from some top-class animals and all that under the auspices of the British Champion Series and of Great British Racing and the man who is the chief executive of both is Rod Street and has been now for a decade and he's with me now. Uh, Rod, good morning. Good, good morning, Nick. We're nearly good afternoon. We have been granted special extension because we've got a sort of packed show today. So Thanks we'll for having me. 15 minutes over, but thank you for coming. What are, what are the main takeaways from yesterday for you? I know you haven't had much time to reflect, but as you were driving home last night what was going through your head uh, a number of things I, I think we had a, a fantastic afternoon's racing which is which is key to it obviously that move to the inner track for the first time that contingency um, you know was a, a, a very important thing and, and we'd had a fairly anxious week with the weather and the build-up but it was great to see on that track that you had two favourites win and a second favourite beating the favourite in by a nose and so I think the, the good horses went through that ground on the inner track. A brilliant attendance, there were 29,500 people there. Um, in terms of paying attendees it was the, our biggest day since Frankel came in 2012 um, and it looked to me like the race goers and, and a very diverse crowd had a, a brilliant time and the, the feedback all round was really really good so we're really happy. It's a very important event, it's our finale to the flat season promoting the best racing in the world and so yeah I, I think I've yet to see any of the coverage yet as you said mm. but um, the takeout is a positive one. And you are trying to promote this day in alignment with trying to broaden the appeal of the sport so it's slightly different in terms of the way you promote it to some of what else you do in the, in the rest of the year. When you say there was a diverse crowd can you put a 
figures on that? Can you actually identify the, the, the makeup of the crowd? Yeah, we certainly know because they, 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 they now count children as they come in at Ascot. So we had, we had a thousand children there yesterday and we have a fan zone down at one end of the race course with exercises and attractions and everything focused about getting people close to the racing. And so we know that we had a really young audience. We had 3,000 paying students um, yesterday, and that's a really, really big move. Um, Sheikh Farhad, who's been you know, the enabler with Kipco of this um, amazing day and hugely supported, was a real fan of getting young people involved. His interest sparked off when he was at, I think, the LSE many years ago. So he's always been about getting students there. And he supported us in doing a free offer to students for the first five or six years of the day to get them coming along, but felt that at some point we needed to show the confidence in the product that we actually charge for it. It's a discounted ticket, it's a tenner, and we moved 3,000 of them and had all the students turn up, and I think that was great. We give them racing scarves so they kind of get, you know, that partisan feel of the day. We offer them tips to sessions, and, 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 and we want to get them closer to the racing action. I think it would be failure if we move 3,000 youngsters for a boozy afternoon, we've, we've not really got them any closer to the sport. And what we're giving them, you know, in, by comparison on Champions Day, which is one of the best days racing in the world, arguably, is, is, is a 10-quid ticket to the equivalent of a Premier League match, Liverpool-Man City or mm. something. So that was good. And, of course, it, crucially, lots of racing aficionados, you know, at the very core of this, this is a racing day. And I know that people who love flat racing turn up in big number. And I, I love that we get that mix. Uh, we talked about this before, but I think it's worth revisiting it. Do you ever want to make it a day which is attended by, say, a Royal Ascot-sized crowd, a Royal Ascot-Saturday-sized crowd, a 70,000 pumping grandstand? Do you envision it being a bigger deal? We'd like to get more people there if the facilities allow it, absolutely. We could never deliver what Ascot deliver in the summer because, um, because of the weather and the time of year. They can open up the course and the centre course yeah. in a very, very different way. But we do have the aspiration that over time, and this was our ninth year and we're already thinking of what 10th anniversary means next yeah. year, is that this day is, 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 has an FA Cup final feel and that, that, that people out there beyond our core racing audience get to know that Champions Day is really, really special and they want to come because it's going to be brilliant racing. The race course is presented in a slightly different way. People always comment about that. You see we have those giant-sized jockey laminates going up the grandstand and, 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 and it, it, it's, it's a slightly funkier promotion than maybe a Royal Ascot were, meeting mm -hmm. would be and we have have license to do that. So it's, it, it's about people wanting to come to a day that they feel is special. We end with um, an after party, but it's never about the music. It's not, a, it's not promoted as that kind of event, but we, we always have a really brilliant act at the end. So when they've enjoyed an amazing day of racing, they can come and, and party on as well. So that's, that's the thing. And if you were coming through Waterloo Station over the last month, you'll see that giant yeah. hoarding up, which is Champions Day, the ultimate race day. It's got quite a distinct feel to it, Champions Day, and it's a feel I like, and I think many people do. Is it fair to say that for you it's a blueprint of how you would like most quality race days to feel? Yeah, I think so, and, and notably... Um, I think what I talked about us having license to, to try things on that day because it's a new day and we, we started, we had that, that arch that the horses come through mm. which wasn't easy to get through when we initially discussed that with Ascot because it had not done before. That arch is now used um, by Ascot for the, for the Royal Ascot meetings and, and again they saw mm. something trialled on our day that they could use for a feature day and we see other race courses indeed around the world they use the pennants that we do that, that introduce the jockeys you see them used in Ireland you see them used in France and so yes I, I think it's an opportunity to 
try things and see if they can be delivered on other days. But I am also respectful that, that all of these other iconic events during the season have their own identity. Yeah. And so Royal Ascot has a very particular feel, which is, in th I think, important. Sure. They protect for their brand. And so, again, I think you just have to mix these things up. I'm more thinking about the vibe that you're trying to create when you say that you're trying to get people closer to the horse, get oh. people closer to the stars, get people closer to the sport. That's quite a difficult challenging but ultimately quite fulfilling way of selling the sport it we is. know there are easier ways of doing it and we know there are easier ways that race courses have to do it through the summer oh. by piling it high selling it cheap putting on the axe selling lots of booze is your vision the vision that you really want for the sport i'm a real advocate of that yes and getting people closer because i think if we move circa 5.8 million people through racing during the year mm. and we don't bring them closer to the action it's failure on, on our part and, it, and, and I think we grow that, um, that love of the sport by getting people closer. I'm a, I'm a real believer incidentally in it's about us being accessible. I, I hear the word simplified being used sometimes and, and I don't think we need to simplify racing. I think that you, we need to make it accessible and interesting and then people find their own way and level through the sport and some will stay on the edges, having a flutter and picking horses because they like the colour of the silks and some people will end up being absolutely obsessed with sectional times but we've got to make it accessible. So on race days like Champions Day and Champion Series races, things that we do like meet the racehorse are I think hugely important and we work with Heroes Charity, we have a paddock and a retired racehorse available for the public to see in, in a special area and there's often a queue as long for that as there is for the ice cream van during mm -hmm. those the summer race meetings and in an increasingly urbanised society it's important that people can meet horses, yeah. that they can go and get autographs of jockeys who are a whole lot more accessible than a lot of other sporting stars and so yeah any touch point that gets people closer to racing has to be a Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Welcome back, you're watching Luck on Sunday. Now, earlier in the programme, both Rafe Beckett and Neil Channing suggested that one of the most important factors in terms of the sport's health in relation to betting in the next few years would be the success of the tote. The new tote, of course, because the tote as it stands is the new name, if you like, of Alizetti Partners, who acquired initially 25% of the existing pool betting operation from Fred Doan and have now this week completed the entire acquisition of, uh, of the pool betting operation from Fred Doan and the chief executive of the Tote UK, as we are now calling this uh, institution, quite rightly, is Alex Frost. And he is making a second appearance here on Luck on Sunday. Alex, good morning. Morning. And the first time you came, you came in when you were in the middle of quite protracted negotiations with BritBet, which was the consortium of UK racecourses who were trying also to start their own pool betting <coughs> operation before you sort of became yeah. one... I was going to say happy family, but one, <laughs> one family. And you couldn't really kind of give a bold vision for the future, but you can now, yes? Yeah, no excuses this time. So, yeah, so <clears throat> this week we completed the transaction, which mm -hmm. was essentially um, to go from being 25% owners to the full ownership of, yeah. of the tote. That was um, Thursday this week. So, yeah, it's been a, a busy week. <laughs> so just tell us how that came about. So, well, we're rolling right back. So three years ago, we set up a team to investigate and, and look at the opportunity. Um, and um, as of last year, we became 25% owners. So we've had decent insight into the business for the last 12, 14 months, in fact. And since then, um, you know, we've worked towards Thursday, which was you know, a, a big, big day for us. 
where we can actually get on and do the things we've, we've sort of set out to do. So what did you need to complete the deal? Money, I guess. Money was, was quite helpful. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> backing of the industry, um, backing of, of yeah, well, the, the shareholder base has been crucial to us. Um, getting what is actually 160 people together who have passion for the sport and for the prospect of, of dare I say, a better financial model. Um, and then, you know, a lot of um, M&A negotiations which went through various nights of, of the past sort of three or four months. So a lot of enthusiasm and, and drive. But crucially, you know, what we're trying to do here is trying to get the, the pool that is UK pool back to something that's respectable. Um, I think when you look at where we sit internationally, we're not even 1% of, of the global pool. And when you think we got 25% of the world's Group 1 racing here, it's... it's, it's not quite an embarrassing state, but certainly there's room for improvement, should we mm. say. So I think it's putting the pool back into the middle of the room and, and <clears throat> working out how everybody can benefit from it, whether it be media rights companies, whether it be you know, the sport more broadly itself, and um, for consumers making it a lot more exciting, a lot more engaging. Now, in order to get these 160 investors, and we'll talk about them a little yeah. bit more in a bit, yeah. you've had to be a bit of an evangelist for, for the prospects for pool betting. Yeah. You're either brilliant or you're crazy, and I can't work out which, because it would be fair to say that three years ago you wouldn't have found many evangelists for the future of pool betting in the UK, so why were you? I think, I think two things, really. Um, <clears throat> Travelling around the world, you, you see kind of how effective the pool is elsewhere, so I think that gave us great, great hope. And, um, but I think as well, if you look how transactions are done the world over now, um, you... you you see a world that's very, very different, particularly in things like capital markets trading. So stocks and shares, mm-hmm. you would be used to ringing out your stockbroker and, and asking for a price. That's you know, done through a pool system now, effectively, where you've got you know, a brilliant technology that's transformed that um, to the point whereby you know, that's a very different process. And what is most like that in, in wagering? Well, it's, it's the pool, and, and that's why, you know, dare I say, you know, outside of this country... Um, particularly in Asia, you've got tremendously efficient um, pool systems that, that offer us massive, massive hope. And when you look at places like Japan, you know, Japan has a pool that's $25 billion in size. Um, the global pool is over $100 billion. So maybe we are just this outlier. And I think that's really kind of the conclusion we came to three years ago when we were looking at it in a lot of detail. And within that, you know, if you put it back in the middle of racing, there's, mm. a, there's a very decent prospect for a proper financial engine here. Uh, and of course, there'll be so many people watching now who'll be saying, well, yes, of course, the pool has got yeah. a huge place in, in the sport in all these other countries because they, they are regulated. They are sure. not deregulated <laughs> as we are, and, and they're not living in a landscape where fixed odds betting is the thing. Yeah. And we are. And gradually over time, pool betting has been shunted to the margins through a combination of disinterest and mismanagement? Yeah, that's partially correct, but at the same time, A, I think they're, you know, a lot of them are state-owned, so dare I say it, you know, what I wanted to speak for them. Um, I think there's been a lack of ambition and drive and, and innovation, um, but I don't think that's entirely correct. I think if you look uh, at most of these jurisdictions, that it's a fairly competitive environment. I mean, you look at Australia, and Australia has, has pool competing with fixed odds in a very rigorous way and has had for a long time, and while the pool's diminished in size, exotics there have got a lot bigger. So, in fact, the pool's actually you know, maintained a very, very reasonable size. 
Um, if you look at places like Sweden, I mean, you know, you've still got a you know, very significant pool there, massive exotics, um, you know, really exciting propositions like the V75, which we're very excited by. Tell, tell me what that is. Well, it's just if you're darting around the world and, and you stop at various places. So the V75 in Sweden, for example, mm-hmm. is, is their version of our Scoop 6, effectively. Right. But that's a, you know, it rolls through um, to either you know, somewhere between a £5 million uh, pool and, and, and it's been as high as £25 million. So if you put these bets framed the right way and if you get behind them the right way um, as an industry... You know they can be incredibly exciting, and, and we see a world whereby you know you can sort of have something equivalent to a national lottery type event. Okay, so how do you do that, and how do you get the the heft, if you like, to market this and get that message out to enough people to want to bet into the pool? Yeah, well, it's I mean it's a challenge that that I think needs to embrace everybody, and and I include sort of the international partners, which you know which we will go after hard and, and have already. Um, and you know, so so the ecosystem needs to be a much much bigger distribution. Mm-hmm. It needs to be you know heavily marketed, heavily invested in, and that's why we brought in you know, brilliant teams from you know other industries. And and dare I, say it, I think the sort of the proof of the pudding of, of our prospects is we're, we're seeing a lot of people from you know, senior executives from the rest of the industry come in and and, and support us and, and work with us. So just very very sort of proficient distribution partnerships with with racing so hence our, our partnership with BritBet is absolutely crucial um, partnership with, with international so i just make the pool that much more interesting and engaged huge amounts of data i think we've got a huge advantage in the sense we don't need people to lose for us to win do you know what i mean the nature of a pool is that you can become a sort of camelot type organization and just present it in a very different way which is you know we can make it as interesting as possible we can give you as much data as possible we can tell you as much about the horses as, as possible because we want you to win. So we don't need you to lose for us to win. So growing the pool is, is you know, and make it, you know, the, the, you shouldn't have to go and fill out a play spot form, you know, with a little barrow that doesn't really work. We, you know, there's huge opportunity to digitalise and make it a lot more appealing. Okay, so technologically you want to move it forward, you want to make it more customer-friendly. To what extent has your impetus been forced by the way you view the relationship between punters and existing bookmakers in this country? I think it's quite, it feels quite confrontational at the moment, um, and I think we've got an opportunity here with the amount of data we have, um, and you look at things that are available, whether it be sectional timing, whether it be stride pattern lengths, whether it be... Just, just a better data present presentation. You know, when you sort of Apple Music don't present things to you in a sort of draconian old school way, um, you know, there's a very different way that music gets presented to you now. So, you know, there, there are huge technological advancements that give us, you know, a much better way of presenting it to, to customers now, which is hopefully very different to to what's currently in offer. And we need to find those, you know, interesting ways and. So, you know, fixed odds, bookmakers, are, you know, it's a channel that we won't really sort of delve into too hard. What we will do is, is expand exotics, mm-hmm. tend to follows, very different products. While we'll, we'll lean on singles in, a, in a, some way, it'd be much more, you know, the likes of tend to follow and, and the, the sort of interesting pools and exotics that we think we can really make much more interesting. But do you think exotic betting, so betting exactus, trifectas, combination bets, do you think that that is ever capable of being culturally ingrained into the into the punter psyche in this country as it is elsewhere no, I, I, I think there's there's you know you look at the play spot it's one of the most popular bets in the country mm-hmm. so i think it already is arguably i think it's how you put it in front of people and make it interesting that that's our challenge and 
you know, I think the idea of you know, is it interesting right now when you fill out a form and you know it's you're, you're choosing a place, for example, you're choosing from 140 horses on a Monday morning when you've got other things going on. There are different ways to present it to people. People are used to sort of three-click Amazon experience, mm-hmm. um, whereas you know we're presenting to them in I think very much the wrong way. Uh, we've had very smart people look at you know how it is currently and how it can be going forward. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Equuel Dubai. It is a beautiful fall afternoon here in Lexington, Kentucky. I am at Keeneland and joined by jockey Sophie Doyle on the heels of a real breakout year heading into the Breeders' Cup with Street Band. But I want to kind of take you back and really start at the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? And I'd imagine growing up in Lamborn horses were there every step of the way for you. Yeah, it was. It was. I had a great childhood. My mother, Jacqueline Doyle, was training for 25 years and spent most of those years in Lambourne. So I was one of those young kids that used to be on my little pony, going up the gallops, racing everybody upsides and trying to join in with workers the last furlong if I could keep up with them. So I had a really good childhood and I loved Lambourne and, you know, so many happy memories back there. Do you remember when you first decided or wanted to become a jockey? Um, I think it was back when I was very, very young. There's a picture of me putting on a set of silks and getting on my rocking horse and pulling it, pulling her up in front of the TV on a Saturday afternoon to watch the racing. And I've always had the bug. And like my mum always said to me, um, so if I really want you to be an eventer and go and go into three-day eventing and take that route. And I used to say to her, well, Mum, we've got a barn full of racehorses. Why would I go into that when I can go race them all the time? So I had the, you know, I had the bug from an early age. And when I was about 11, I started breezing horses for my mum then, and which was pretty scary to some people. See this little person on the top of these big racehorses coming along. But we'd been riding our whole lives, so it was just a natural transition. And really and honestly, once I got to... I think I started later on because my mum really pushed hard on me to go into eventing. So I stayed in school till I was about 17, 18. And then I was also helping her be almost like an assistant trainer back home. And I was helping her train the horses. She was hoping maybe that would be something to push me towards. But naturally she couldn't, she just couldn't stop me. The more she told me she didn't want me to be a jockey, the more I wanted to do it. So I'm going into my 12th year of racing now and I'm enjoying every moment of it. It's like you really had your mind made up from a young age. I'm sure it can be kind of difficult to articulate, but what are some of the most valuable lessons that your mom taught you about horses and just about riding in general? One of the biggest things that she, my mom taught my James and I, my brother, was about you know riding your races to suit your horses. You have to be able to, it's the horses that have to do all the running. Um, you know, she taught us about how to settle a horse in a race. You know, the takes two to pull expression and also about how to set your horses up for a finish and she always used to say imagine you have those little toy cars that you've got to wind them up and you keep tightening the screws and you give the horse a nice breather and then you let that when you let the little handle go the car zooms off and um, that's always been in my mind when I'm riding my races is make sure you give them a breather and give them a chance and the biggest thing that my mum taught us both of us was best thing that you can do is go and pick the pick up the dictionary and learn the word humble because she said you will need that more than you need anything and that's always stuck by me and every moment that I get to come to work and ride these amazing animals and you know and the people that I get to work with like Larry Jones 
I'm just so humbled and blessed to be able to do this as my job. They're lessons for a lifetime, really. You had a successful career as an apprentice jockey in England, but what made you want to come to the States, and did it feel like a place that you could call home? Absolutely. Um, for me, I just felt like after I'd been on a couple of trips abroad, I'd been out to Dubai to race out there with Rod Simpson, and that was a fantastic learning experience, and I enjoyed every moment of it. I then got to come over to Santa Anita in California, and I was there for three months working for Jim Cassidy. Then I came back home, rode for another year, and I decided, you know, I think this is something where I want to go and where I want my life to lead me to. So I came back out the following winter for another three months, and I actually worked for Steve Asmussen for six weeks. Then I went off freelancing for people like Paddy Gallagher and Sean McCarthy as well. Did you feel like you had to adapt your style at all to American racing or make any changes? I did. I felt like when I came back, I was, you know, when I watched the race in here, I was very European. I moved moved my upper body too much, my legs too much. And the Americans here, they want to see style. So you have to be able to really, you know, sneak it down a little bit. And I've managed to do that as much as I can. I still have some times where I get a bit of aggression and I'm like really trying hard. And sometimes it comes out in me a little bit, but I try my best to stay as American as possible. You kind of got your feet wet in California, but did it feel like things started to really click for you when you came to Kentucky and there's just so many opportunities as far as racetracks and the close proximity and the horse population very large here? Yeah, and here in Kentucky it's great because there's so many racetracks. There's about six local tracks that you can go to and I can ride six days a week here between Kentucky and Indiana and Chicago. And then, of course, in the winter months you can go 10, 10 hours down the road to um, New Orleans at Fairgrounds. So that's been my niche right now. But it's been fantastic, the opportunities you have here. And in Kentucky, you have so many that you've got Keeneland, Churchill, you've got three training tracks that you can go to. So that's a lot of horses in Kentucky. So once I came here, I kind of played, you know, stayed here for a long time. For three years, I was here all the time, year round, including the cold winter months, which are freezing. <laughs> and we did Turfway for two years in the winter. And then, um, then I decided I wanted to go to the fairgrounds. I kind of had enough of the cold and said, so let's go to the fairgrounds. And then the last two summers, I went to Chicago because there was just some more opportunity up there that, um, you know, you're still at home. You're at a home track, but there's, the competition of jockeys isn't quite as large. So we've done really, really well up, well up there with uh, my agent, Penny Fitch-Hayes. She's been fantastic, which is also a fellow English rider. English, she used to ride over the National Hunt back home and got to ride the Grand National. So she was fantastic to work with because she understands the races. So we've really been able to help each other out. And now I'm back here in Kentucky again, and it's been fantastic. You mentioned Steve Ash, you've seen Larry Jones. You've had some real big horsemen give you a lot of support, and I'm sure in part due to the hard work and, to, as you say, staying humble and just being willing to be a partner with them and trying to work with the horses in the morning and the afternoon. I want to talk a little bit about Street Band. She's, I'm sure, very, very special to you, gave you your first grade one win. What makes her so talented and so unique? I think it makes her Street Band so unique because she's almost, she has, she's such her own person. She has a fantastic personality. And like I've always said in most of my interviews, that we're two fiery redheads together. <laughs> so we can be nice and quiet when we're back in the barn. And But once we're out there on the racetrack, we're pretty feisty together. And she's really just matured all the way through since last fall when I first got to ride her at the fairgrounds. Yeah, Every time I've been aboard her, she just keeps improving and improving. 
in this, you know, the last race in the Cortellian, she was just phenomenal. She ran a fantastic race and she really put herself on the scene. Do you remember as you hit the wire, just the emotions? Because it's so many years of hard work and some people, some jockeys, some trainers will chase the grade one forever and not get there. Was it a culmination of so many things coming together for you as you hit the line? It was indeed. You know, it really justified why I was why I moved away and the fact that I was finally given a massive opportunity to be riding in a grade one race and to have the support and backing from Larry Jones and Ray Francis and his son Merrick has just been phenomenal. They've been huge. Um, you know, it's nice to be a part of that kind of team and Larry Jones, he's always been a very loyal man all the way through his career with jockeys and horses. So it was nice to be a part of their team and you know, to win a grade one was just the icing on my on the cake for my entire career that finally I'm a, another grade one winning rider. So you're on your way to the Breeders' Cup again. You've ridden in it before right here at Keeneland. This time with Street Man, she'll take on older. The waters get pretty deep. Midnight Bizu is waiting there. But do you feel some added confidence knowing that you have that experience yourself at Santa Anita kind of in your back pocket and that familiarity with that track? I do, absolutely. I've, you know, it's a track that I was there for almost a whole year when you piece it all together, all the times I was out there. And then, of course, recently I was out there to ride a stake race for Jack Sisterson, and um, I was able to be there for two days working on the track just to familiarize myself with the track again and get used to the way the track is. So it's been pretty nice to go back there and, you know, to have the backdrop and know the track again and be going there with street band who i think she's got a phenomenal chance and i'm just i'm so confident in her that i have said it before that i'm i just feel like everybody's beatable you just never know what can happen in this game and i'm just keeping a really positive attitude because i really believe in her will your mom be watching at home or will she make the trip perhaps no mom's going to be making the trip out here um, i just spoke to her this morning that we're organizing her flights to be here and i I just, you know, it's a family affair and my mum and I were so close and I don't have a huge big family so I really would love her to be there and if my brother James could be there that would be fantastic but um, we'll have to wait and see. We wish you all the best of luck. We're going to be rooting for you. Thank you very much. Hardworking, humble, the success all coming to Sophie Doyle should be headed to Santa Anita with Street Band for the Breeders' Cup Distaff. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. And don't forget to tune in to Luck on Sunday every week from 9am, live and free to air, where I'll be talking to the best guests.